I was talking last week uh, about the sutta, the uh, teaching that the Buddha gave toward the end of his life on breath meditation uh, when all of his disciples were gathered around and uh, he considered those who were there and acknowledged the great practice that they were doing, the great heart that they had. He said, this group is, you know, built each of these beings is established in heartwood. You know, they've developed this heartwood inside through their practice. Uh, and he said, each of these beings is doing different kinds of practice. And then, of course, ultimately he said, you know, if we develop breath meditation, our practices will uh, come to fruition. But in the Sutta, he delineates certain teachings that he considered key teachings that we should really come to know and practice. Uh, one of those teachings, uh, one that we don't perhaps talk about specifically as a specific teaching, uh, is the four bases of power. So these four bases of power, it's kind of an interesting uh, idipada. Uh, it's an interesting uh, idea. Uh, basically, these qualities are uh, the qualities that drive our practice, that power our practice, uh, that give our practice power, the power that we need to follow the path, to meditate. So these four qualities are desire, intention, persistence, determination, and the fourth quality is circumspection which is that quality of paying attention to where we are uh, in our practice and what we need to do, understanding what we need to do in order to move forward. But today I want to focus on uh, skillful desire. And it's, it, you know, it's interesting because that, you know, whenever the Buddha gives a teaching, you know, if it's three of this or four of that or five of that, it's not random. And he just doesn't choose those things randomly. Each builds on the next and really, you know, the base of the basis of power is desire. It's really the first thing that we need in order to be able to follow the path and to practice is a desire to do that. We have to have a desire to develop the path, to practice meditation. Without a desire to practice, the practice won't develop. Meditation won't develop without a desire to meditate. Even every day when we you know, consider our meditation practice, uh, there needs to be some desire to want to do that. You know, you gotta wanna do it to some extent. Uh, you know. I mean, everybody has that to some extent, and that's kind of what gets you there. As with most things, you can build that quality, you know? So we need to have that quality. Uh, you would never have meditated, ever, or never gotten to a Dharma class if there wasn't some desire to do that. Uh, the thing of it is, is how much desire do you have? You know, the more desire that you have to practice, the more you'll practice, the more you're pra you'll practice the teachings would suggest the more you'll move towards a greater happiness in your life. So uh, in the meditation, you need a desire to be doing, you know, you could get down and sit and meditate, but if there's not a desire to do it, not much is going to happen in the meditation if you don't have a desire to want to follow the steps of the breath meditation. 
So this is a teaching that around which there's a lot of misconception, right? Because uh, you know, sort of the misconception is that you know you shouldn't have desire. You know, desire is antithetical to the Dharma. It's antithetical to the path. The idea being, well, isn't the path about eliminating desire? Isn't it about letting go of desire? Well, it is, but in order to let go of desire, you need to have a desire to let go of desire. You need to have a desire to let go of desire. You need to have a desire to do what you need to do so that ultimately we can find release from desire. So this is a great paradox, right? It's a great paradox that we have to use what we've already got to get to somewhere else. You've already got desire as a quality, you know? That's one that you're really good at. We're all really good at. We've all got a lot of desire for a lot of things. So the genius of the Buddhist teachings is he doesn't say, just completely stop what you're doing. No, he says, take what you're doing, engendering desire for different things, and gradually shift that into your meditation practice. Develop a desire for the meditation, for the path. You know, there's one of the suttas that really explicates this is uh, a story of uh, somebody coming to Ananda. Uh, and uh, you know, the Buddha's, one of the Buddha's disciples and saying to Ananda, well, what's your practice? What's it all about ultimately? And Ananda says, well, it's about letting go of all desire. And of course he says, well, how do you do that? And he says, well, you let go, you do that by developing desire and intention and persistence and circumspection. And what is, what is the way Tanjev translates it? And the, the person who came to Ananda said, uh, then it's an endless path and not, one with an, at an, and not one with an end, for it's impossible one could abandon desire by means of desire. And that's kind of what we tend to think. Uh, and you know, the way Ananda, Ananda explains it, uh, very simple, and it's, it really you know, should help us understand. And Ananda said uh, to the questioner, you know, in order to get to the park, you, know, you want to go to the park? They had beautiful parks at the time of the Buddha. You know? In order to get to the park, uh, you need a desire to get there, right? The guy said, yeah, I need a desire to get to the park. And then Ananda said, now once you get to the park, do you need that desire anymore? He said, no, I don't need it anymore. He said, well, it's the same way with the path. You need a desire to get to where you're going, and then you let go of that. You don't need that desire anymore, but you need it to get there. You need it to get there. So, you know, there's a place where there isn't any desire needed, but you need desire to get to that place. It's not that the desire to practice is the end result, but it's the cause that gets you, one of the causes that gets you to the end result, to get you to the park. I see this very, uh, and I think you know, we can all look and see this. Uh, I would assume most of us, certainly I really see it in my own practice, you know, when I sit down to meditate and uh, you know, and of course, it shifts because desire 
uh, is, you know, because it is an emotion, it's kind of volatile, and at, at different points it's at different uh, levels, desire to practice, in other words. And, you know, sometimes I'll sit down to meditate, I've been kind of noticing this a lot lately, perhaps, obviously, it's probably why I chose this topic, uh, but, you know, I'll sit down to meditate, and I'll be meditating for a little while, and it's like, this is going nowhere. Like, you haven't felt one breath, you know? You don't even care about the steps. Like, what's going on here? And it's like really clear. There's a lack of desire. It's like, I don't really want to do it. I don't want to do it. You know, it's like, what, what, what is it? I know what to do. There's really the hindrances. I'm pretty awake. I'm not, you know, it's like, I just don't have a strong enough desire to make the kind of effort that's required. So, you know, it's a very interesting thing because, of course, you know, and that's circumspection, right? And, you, know, it, you know, it's, it's okay, I'm not doing what I need to do. What's going on here? Well, there isn't much desire to practice. There's a real lack of desire. It's like, in order to do this, you really got to want to do it. You have to want to do it. And sometimes I'll sit down and it's just like, that desire, that wanting to do it, isn't there. Now, other times it's been there, uh, so I can build on that desire that I've engendered and followed through on in the past. For all of us, we have some desire to practice or we wouldn't have gotten here. Uh, if you're newer, you can also develop desire. You know, It's something that can be developed. It's a quality that can be developed. Uh, it's kind of like uh, apple pie. We're using a very American metaphor these times. You know, it's like you know, you may never, if you're newer, you know, or whatever, you know, you, let's say you're new to apple pie, uh, you know, you know, you've never had apple pie before. Uh, you're not going to develop. You're not going to have much of a desire for it. You know. You're going to start to get a little desire for it when you start to eat it. It's like, oh, this is pretty good. Maybe I'll have it again. That's kind of how it is with the meditation. You know? So, uh, you know, you've got to order the apple pie and start to see that it's good. And then you develop a desire for it. So, you know, the first element, or one of the elements, I'll talk about several elements in of developing this skillful desire is to reflect on the benefits of the practice. It's like, you know, when you reflect on the benefits of ice cream, you know, then all of a sudden you find yourself in the grocery store, you know, you find yourself with a spoon and a pint of Ben and Jerry's. You know, it's like that desire doesn't come from just nowhere. It comes from reflecting on the benefits of ice cream or the benefits of apple pie. It's the same thing. It's the same quality. You know, we've all reflected on the benefits of sushi, whatever, <laughs> fill in the blank, right? So reflect on the benefits of meditation. That's how you build a desire to practice, or one of the ways. So, you know, and there's a lot of ways to do that, of course, and to a large extent, you do that based on what you've experienced, right? There's the short-term benefits, uh, you know, 
all right, there's a benefit if I sit down and I meditate and I follow the instructions. Uh, you know, my body is tight and tense and I'll come into a place of ease and a sense of well-being. If I sit down to meditate, it's going to support me in my ability to move through my day. I mean, that's a very uh, simple, uh, pragmatic, you know, the, reflecting on benefits can be really pragmatic, you know. It's like, I re that's one of my main reflections. It's like, I got stuff to do today, my life, and I want to make the most out of that and be as present for it and, 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 uh, and as skillful and as joyful in my life and the meditation is going to enable me to do that and support me in my efforts to do that if I practice. I know that, of course, because I've, I've eaten a lot of ice cream. You know, I know it's good. You know, I know the meditation is good. I really I saw this, I mean, I've seen it so many times over the years, but I remember when I first started going on vacations to different places and traveling, you know, which I'd never done before, you know, and I'd be in some city that I'd never been in before, and, you know, I was really excited. I had a great desire to go out to the museums and see all the sights and everything. And so, you know, I'd get up in the morning and I'd kind of act on that desire and I'd rush out and I'd go to all these great places and, uh, you know, and I was new to traveling, so, you know, there was fear and there was anxiety and I would get lost and I would get upset, you know, and it was like, traveling was really difficult at first. So, you know, what I realized what I needed to do was, you got to meditate every morning before you go outside, you know, and then you'll be in a position where those different emotions come up, you know, they won't come up as strongly, you'll notice them when they come up, and you'll be able to make the most out of the time that you have in this place. You know, all right, well, you know, maybe I'm going to take a half an hour that I could have spent at this site or that one, and I'm going to put that into meditation, but it's going to uh, make the experiences that I do have, one half hour less of experiences, a lot more joyful. You know? So I, you know, began every morning when I would travel, I would meditate for half an hour and made all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. So then it became, you know, obviously, I would always have that desire to meditate whenever I would travel in the morning because it's like, you know, I know that this is going to really help me. You know, I'm in this place, I'm in this country that I've never been in before, and I want to really experience this fully. It's like, I'm going to meditate. So there's a real desire to want to meditate then because I knew it was going to really support me in my ability to, uh, to find great happiness and joy in doing what I was doing. But, you know, if we come back to our you know, more mundane lives, it's the same thing. You know? But we have to reflect on that. You know, that if we practice, it's going to have a direct relation Ship, a direct relationship to our capacity to be uh, more present, more awake, more connected to the heart in our daily activities. You know, and then, of course, there's the long-term benefits, the more long-term benefits that we can reflect on. You know, that I know that reflecting on the benefits of the practice being that uh, if I practice, if I meditate, that this is going to lead me in time to uh, a place where there's less suffering in my life. I'll suffer less. The 
there'll be less suffering, there'll be less, you know, when we talk about suffering, we're talking about, you know, that suffering of the first noble truth, the suffering in the mind, the suffering of clinging, the suffering of aversion, desire, and delusion. You know, so we reflect on, uh, you know, that there'll be less suffering, we reflect on uh, the wish that we have to be happy, that, you know, this path is a path of happiness, it leads us to a greater happiness. That, you know, in many ways that was sort of, I mean, that, I mean, that, those were the two things that got me to this practice in the first place. A lot of suffering in my life and wanting to be free from that. And also at the same time, uh, recognition that life didn't have to be that way. And there was a potential for real happiness in life, true happiness. So, you know, reflecting on, uh, you know, my suffering, and then, of course, understanding, you know, as we go on, you know, we have to have some sense of that at the beginning, that the path will lead us to the end of suffering, uh, the path will lead us to a true happiness. I mean, sometimes for me, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, I mean, how do you develop that desire? You know, I mean, I mean, you don't have to try so much to develop the desire for ice cream, but, you know, the, develop, the desire for the ice cream, if you pay attention to it, is like you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. That's what you have to do with the meditation. Now, those thoughts aren't going to arise uh, you know, out of conditions like the thoughts about the ice cream are. So you have to engender those thoughts. You know, so sometimes, all the time really for me, it's just telling myself, this path leads to true happiness. This path leads to the end of suffering. This path leads to true happiness. This path leads to true happiness. I have to keep telling myself that. I mean, in the heart, I know that that's true. Experientially, I know that that's true because I've seen that. You know, in all of our hearts, we know that that's true. You know, we know it to the extent, perhaps, that we've practiced. but it's really in the heart, that understanding. It's about the way, you, how do you get to the heart? You use the head to get to the heart, right? We talk about that all the time. So you have to tell yourself, remind yourself, remind yourself, remind yourself. In and of itself, the reflection on our suffering is a great uh, way to engender desire. It's a great way to engender desire, is by acknowledging our suffering acknowledging our suffering. I mean, I always tell that story about how when, <clears throat> when I first started, well, actually, when I first started New York Insight uh, oh, 20 years ago, uh, I wasn't even teaching at the time. I don't think I, no, I wasn't really, but I was uh, leading sittings. And, and of course, I was a co-founder, and this uh, Thai fella, uh, his name was Suwit, uh, used to come all the time, and he actually ended up becoming a monk uh, at some point. Uh, and uh, you know, I remember saying to him, "How do I get people to to come? How do I get people? You know, we just started this place. You know, we got this sitting on Thursday night. How do I get people to come? How do I get?" He said, "You have to let them see their suffering. They have to see their suffering." Well, this is how smart that I was, you know. But it's true. You know, it's true. You know, 
So, you know, we acknowledge our suffering. Again, that suffering of the first noble truth, the mental suffering. You know, it's like we don't want to look at that. You know? So we spend so much time trying to push that to the side and avoid it. You know? Can't be avoided. You know, so because the pain is still there, so, you know, we go looking for ways to end the pain. You know, so... That's the ice cream and the television and all of that. So what we learn to do, of course, is to turn to it and acknowledge it. You know, there is suffering. There is the suffering of that comes from not being joined with what I find pleasing, being joined with what I find displeasing. You know, when we, of course, easier, that's hard to do, right? We need a certain amount of equanimity in order to be able to do that. you know, but when we have that equanimity and that we can look at our suffering you know, with a little bit of space and a little bit of objectivity, uh, you know, then we're able to you know, uh, you know, make a decision about what we need to do uh, with regard to that suffering that isn't coming from uh, you know, a conditioned, habitual place of wanting to get rid of it. So what do I need to do to end it? Well, maybe I need to go to therapy or whatever, but there's a lot of things that we can do that are skillful. Once we recognize them, it's why people go to therapy. Well, I know it's going to help me with my suffering. It's the same thing with meditation. You know, so you know, we acknowledge our suffering, you know, and we acknowledge the benefits of the practice, that the practice leads us to the way, way out of suffering. So you know, again, it's very simple. You know, there's suffering in my life. I mean, we need to do that. You know, again, it's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. But that's how we develop the desire to practice. When we see our suffering clearly, then the desire to end our suffering has a chance to develop and grow, just like that desire to do all those other things that we want to do. Another uh, reflection that really supports uh, the uh, development of skillful desire is the reflection on death. So we reflect, you know, this is the truth. I am subject to death. I'm going to die. I don't know how much more time I have, and whatever I have, it's not that much. Time is short. You know, if I want to find true happiness. Do I have true happiness right now? Not really. I probably could be doing a lot better. Well, then maybe I better do something about it right now because time is running out. So again, you know, that's something that we don't like to do and don't like to look at. But when we turn to the truth of our death and the fact that time is short, you know, with some space, then we're able to connect to that desire to want to make the most of our lives while we have the opportunity to do that. The reflection on death motivates the desire to practice, motivates that sense of urgency. I gotta do it now. I gotta do it now. It's like, I can't wait, you know? It's like people say, well, I'll wait until, you know, wait until I 
leave my job or I'll wait until whatever. Now, now, time is short. Time is short. One of the great instigators of skillful desire is the skillful pleasure that we learn to cultivate in meditation practice. So oftentimes when I'm meditating, uh, generally speaking, when I'm meditating, uh, as I described before, and I notice that, wow, this really is, you know, I'm not really doing a whole lot right here. You know, what's going on? Well, there's a lack of desire. All right, well, how can I build my desire? Let me cultivate skillful pleasure. Let me cultivate skillful pleasure. So I'll cultivate skillful pleasure. Uh, you know, I'll go to the full body. I'll connect to the energy. And of course, if we've been practicing, you know, we're able to do that more readily. You know, it's right there. And I begin to engender that desire to be right here in this body to experience this pleasure in the body. I mean, that's really the most salient means for cultivating skillful desire is learn to develop skillful pleasure. I mean, that's what the Buddha found. He found that he couldn't develop his meditation to the point that he needed to to find freedom until the meditation was pleasurable. Because, you know, the human mind is going to incline to pleasure. You know, there's a quality of desire that as human beings that we have for pleasure that has to be met. So, you know, and, you know, and invariably, okay, you don't really feel like meditating. There's really not much desire. All right, let's really develop some pleasurable states. It's like, oh yeah, I want this. You know, and there's this real desire and lo and behold, you know, the sitting starts to develop. And of course, it's not just in the sitting. Even just walking over here tonight, I was, uh, you know, kind of walking over and man, you're not really that present walking over to the class. You know, it's like mind is going here. It's thinking about this thing. It's thinking about the other thing. I'm trying to stay with the breath, but, you know, it's like all over the place. And it's like, all right, why don't you cultivate an easeful abiding in the body? Now, again, you know, I've trained so that I can do that. So I connected to the breath, but also the full body. And I just dropped into a place of, uh, you know, full body pleasure and ease, and it was very pleasurable actually. And it was like, this is good. I'm going to stay right here, you know. And for the rest of the walk, I was just like right there because I wanted to be there. It felt good. It sure as hell felt a lot better than what I felt when I was obsessing about this, that, and the other thing. There's this quality of I want this. There's a desire for that pleasure. So we develop this pleasure, and from that comes this desire for the pleasure, and that's what, and the Buddha, this is what the Buddha found, that's what enables us to stay with the breath, to stay with the body, to develop meditation. So really, to develop the path, 
uh, and the quality of skillful desire. It's essential that we learn to cultivate skillful pleasure, the pleasure within, the pleasure within, through the steps of breath meditation. I mean, that's how we develop skillful pleasure in this path. Maybe there's other paths that do it. Uh, this is the path that I follow. I find that it works for me. But, you know, it means following the path, following the steps of the breath meditation of Anapanasate. The Buddha lays them out really clearly, really clearly. Develop the breath, put the mind on the breath, evaluate the breath, cultivate an easeful breath, expand your awareness to the full body, and cultivate a pleasurable and easeful abiding in the full body. That's how you develop uh, the capacity through the skillful desire that's engendered to stay with the breath and the body. And that path I find works, you know? I find works and I find that for myself it works and I find if people stay to that path and develop it, uh, they're able to cultivate that pleasurable inner abiding and thusly the wanting to be with the breath and in the body. And of course, the more we cultivate the breath, the more we cultivate that easeful in the abiding in the body, you know, it's cumulative. So the more we cultivate it, the more we're able to connect at will to it, the more we're able to call it up. And that's really the mark of the concentration, that in any situation you can call it up. So for instance, as I was walking down 14th Street, I was able to call it up. I mean, even in a sitting, like the sittings that I was describing, it's like, oh, you don't want to be here will connect into an easeful abiding. I can call it right up. I mean, it's actually right there. It's right there. Now, of course, once I call it up, I can develop it and make it stronger. So it's important to understand uh, where skillful pleasure fits into the Buddhist scheme of things. So, and, and, and you know it's it's important to understand that we need to learn to develop skillful pleasure, but not only that, we need to learn to develop the desire for it. And I mean, for a lot of us, you know, kind of growing up and being part and living in, and it wasn't so much different at the time of the Buddha, the Buddha, you know, this very puritanical society. You know, it's like, you know, that's very fearful of pleasure. Uh, you know, I mean, I could pretty much call up that experience of pleasure all the time, but I don't. I don't. You know, you know it's important. And, you know, and that desire to cultivate that desire. You know, when I first started in this practice of the Buddha's meditation, you know, they used to tell us, don't develop pleasure. You know, because you'll develop desire for it. That's exactly why you develop it. That's exactly why you develop. You're supposed to develop that desire. You know, you're supposed to develop that desire so that you can have something that replaces the desire for the ice cream and the television and the internet. You're supposed to develop that desire. That's a skillful desire. It's a skillful and healthy pleasure. And I think for a lot of us, I know for myself, a lot of the problem is we don't recognize 
that it's okay and we don't allow ourselves to cultivate this pleasure and this desire. We need to learn to immerse ourselves in this pleasure, immerse ourselves in this quality of desire, to want it. So I'm giving you freedom to do that. The Buddha gives you freedom to do that. It's like, I need that. You know, I told that story last week when Tom Jeff was here a number of years ago, and one of our yogis was talking about how, you know, in his meditation, you know, he paints the body with ease and well-being, and, but he just feels, you know, like he shouldn't be doing that, that he's doing something wrong. Tom Jeff said, paint the body, paint it, paint it. You know, I always remember that because it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. bathe in it. The Buddha described it, you know, in so many different ways. Uh, I mean, just think of the way he described that first jhana. There is the case where the monk, quite withdrawn from sensuality, you putting aside the ice cream, withdrawn from unskillful qualities, the hindrances, enters and remains in the first jhana. Rapture and bad pleasure born from withdrawal, accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. Okay, those are the steps. He permeates and pervades, suffuses and fills this very body with the rapture and pleasure born from withdrawal. There is nothing of his entire body unpervaded by rapture and pleasure. Just as, a, as if a skilled bathman or bathman's apprentice were to pour bath powder into a brass basin and knead it together. Think about bath powder, you know, it's like dough almost, and you're kneading it, kneading it together sprinkling it again and again with water so that his ball of bath powder, saturated, moisture-laden, permeated within and without, would nevertheless not drip. Even so, the monk permeates and suffuses and fills this very body with the rapture and pleasure born of withdrawal. There is nothing of his entire body unpervaded by rapture and pleasure. This is the practice. This is the heart of the practice. Meditation has, you know, can be pleasurable, it has to be pleasurable. And we have to develop that desire for that pleasure. So this is something that we have to make a priority. This is something that we're asked to make a priority. If we do, the path unfolds for us.